you are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow along on Twitter at Locked On NFL Pods. Anywhere you find podcasts, you will find Locked On NFL. On Mondays, you know what we do. We take on the biggest stories in the NFL with our local experts. And today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports, parents fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. An exciting week 11 is in the books. It started on Thursday with an awesome Seahawks-Cardinals game with, of course, Seattle taking that one 28-21. Then we got to the early games. Taysom Hill makes his debut for the Saints. They take down the Falcons 24-9. The Titans edge out the Ravens 30-24. Deshaun Watson was spectacular for the Texans in a 27-20 win. They're one of the best 3-7 teams I can remember, at least most dangerous. And then the afternoon games absolutely delivered. The Indianapolis Colts beat the Packers in a thriller, 34-31. One of the most exciting games we've had so far this season. Aaron Rodgers leading the Packers down under two minutes to go, forcing the field goal. They get the ball in overtime. Green Bay fumbles one of four turnovers on the day, and the Colts kick the game winner in OT. Both teams now 7-3 and three, and still very much in the mix in their respective conferences. And another interconference game, the Cleveland Browns also moved to 7-3 and three with a 22-17 win, moving the Philadelphia Eagles to 3-6-1. and one. And guess what? They are still in first in the absolutely garbage NFC East. But let's start with the game that has the most playoff implications, direct playoff implications among teams that we think could be real contenders in their conference, and that's the Ravens and the Titans. It was one of the marquee matchups of the weekend, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens, and the game itself did not disappoint going into overtime. Derrick Henry ultimately putting the Titans in position to win the game 30-24. to Joining me now to talk about it, Kevin Ostreicher from Locked on Ravens. And Kevin, I, I think the Ravens have been one of the more puzzling teams to try and figure out this season. And yet in these big moments, uh, we, we haven't seen them come through despite some of the, the flashes that we have seen. And, and a lot of the underlying metrics have still really liked them. I guess I feel like I've asked you this every time you've come on the show, but what's going on with Baltimore? Yeah, Peter, that's a question I would like to know. Um, this is a team that had really, <laughs> really high expectations coming into the season. I mean, rightfully so. They went 14-2, and two, had a historic yeah. offensive season in 2019. But, you know, the things that can't be overstated are that they had a lot of hype coming into the year, but also 
there are critics surrounding this team. I mean, any which way you look at it, there are people who want to see this team fail. And I honestly think it's getting to this Baltimore Ravens team. We saw Lamar Jackson in his postgame press conference after this 30-24 to defeat to the Tennessee Titans go out there and say, yeah, I think people want us to lose. He also said things like the Titans wanted it more than us. J.K. Dobbins said we didn't put the effort mm. in. There are concerning trends going on with this Baltimore Ravens team right now. They fall outside the playoff picture at 6-4, and four, and this head-to-head against the Tennessee Titans if the Colts end up winning the AFC South could have really big implications because at this point, I just don't even think it's statistically possible to catch the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC North. Maybe a win on Thanksgiving night will help that. But right now, I see this as a wild card team. Uh, I still think they make the playoffs, even if they do lose to Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving night, because they're back after the schedule. After Pittsburgh is actually really easy. And this isn't any given weekly. Anything can happen. But I'm confident in that. But right now, there's certainly some trouble brewing in Baltimore. They're certainly down, but not out yet, though. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons why they're not out is because we saw how combustible this offense can be last year with Lamar Jackson and even at times this year with Lamar Jackson, but it hasn't been the same offense this year. I mean, that's just the reality. So what has been different? We haven't seen you know the, the, the leaps that we thought maybe someone like Hollywood Brown could make. Um, the, the offense just doesn't seem to be in the same kind of rhythm. So, I mean, what are the things that they can do to get back on track? Can they do it this year? Or is it just a team that that lacks some personnel in key areas? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both there, Peter. They're certainly lacking. Injuries have played a huge part of that. Underperformance has also played a huge part of that in terms of execution. Losing Ronnie Stanley and Nick Boyle in two of the yeah. last three weeks leading up to this game really hurts this team. Two of their best blockers, and you want to go back, Marshall Yonda, that's their three best blockers lost in a span of eight months. And the people who were put on the field to perform for them in Matt Skura, in DJ Fluker, and others have not been performing well. And Lamar Jackson right now has arguably a bottom five wide receiver core and a bottom five offensive line. And no matter who your quarterback is, if you're working with that, most of the time, you're not going to have a lot of success. And now Lamar Jackson... It's not all on him, but certainly some parts of this are on him. He hasn't improved in some areas that I think a lot of people would have liked him to see. The deep ball accuracy isn't quite there yet. It has improved, but we also just haven't seen the Ravens take those deep shots. And when they do take them, they're in very questionable situations. For example, in this game against the Titans, Baltimore's up. They're driving, they're running the ball, they're passing really short effectively. And then on a first down, Lamar Jackson throws the ball 40 yards down the field, Devin DuVernay gives no effort, and he's picked off around the Titans' 10-yard line. So that gives them the ball back. Baltimore only scored three points in the fourth quarter. They left six points on the board in a six-point loss. And that's big. Or no, I believe, no, they left 12 points on the board in a six-point loss because they had three field goals inside the Titans' 20-yard line. So that's big for them. They have to get back to good execution They get killed with penalties every single game. Lamar Jackson, we see good throws from him, but we also see some overthrows, some underthrows. And that Lamar Jackson right now is younger than Joe Burrow. This is a guy who has the world on his shoulders, the weight of the world on his shoulders. And so expectations are high for him. People are expecting him to deliver, especially after the MVP campaign. And right now, I just don't think the Ravens are executing enough or have the offensive personnel to get back to what they were doing in 2019. So they have to change that up. 
Yeah, they're not pushing their margins the same way they were last year, not being as, ag- as aggressive on fourth down, not being aggressive with motion and play action and, and all of that stuff. So it, it's just the execution all the way around from the plan to what's happening on the field is not the same. I don't think we can um, get out of this discussion without talking about this Baltimore defense. They've been very high variance. They rely on blitzing. They rely on turnovers. And we've seen them in some of these big games this season. Their defense has been the side of the ball. You know, not to say that the offense has been great, but they give up 34 to the Chiefs in a loss. They give up 28 to the Steelers in a loss. They give up 30 to the Titans in a loss. And of course, they give up 23 to a pretty mediocre to bad Patriots team, albeit in a monsoon. So why isn't this defense coming through in these big spots the way that Baltimore needs it to? Yeah, Peter, what I would like Baltimore to do on the defensive side of the ball is play more press coverage. Baltimore mm. gives their opponents receivers. They have the corners for it. Yeah, exactly. Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are your two stars on that defense, or at least two of your stars on that defense. And to be fair, they both played horrendously against the Titans. They were getting beat and beat and beat. But Baltimore does not press at the line as much as I would like to. If you can get physical with receivers at the line, it takes away that short passing game. And we've seen Baltimore kind of experiment with it against Pittsburgh, against Indianapolis, because those are really high-powered, short-passing game offenses But against the Titans on Sunday, they just got killed by play action because they were selling out to stop Derrick Henry. I mean, as most teams would, he's the best back in the NFL, no question. But because of that, the Ravens were selling out. They were sending pressure. They were clogging rushing lanes. And the Titans would use play action to perfection. They would catch guys off. And guys were collapsing on those inside rushing lanes. So they had short throws that they would convert. And this defense... It's definitely missing Calais Campbell. It's missing Brandon Williams, Tavon Young, the slot corner they lost in week two. They're down five corners on injured reserve. They're banged up in the secondary. So again, this is a question of personnel, but also execution. We saw on blitzes throughout Sunday against Tennessee, they would send six, seven guys and none of them would get home and it would leave Corey Davis one-on-one with Marcus Peters or A.J. Brown one-on-one with Marlon Humphrey and they would just get torched. So Baltimore, I think their defense will be better once they get guys like Campbell and Williams back because they have such profound impact on what this defense does. And the defense did a pretty good job at stopping Derrick Henry through the first three quarters, but Derrick Henry can wear you down. And once you get into overtime with Derrick Henry, it's tough to stop him. And right now, Baltimore, I think they have some soul searching to do on defense. The secondary definitely underperformed in this one against Tennessee. But again, not all is lost with this defense. They have the talent. They've shown that they're a turnover machine. It's just a matter of playing good football for 60 minutes. I hate the quarterback win stat, but it does seem like Derrick Henry, who's not a quarterback, is undefeated in overtime. It just seems like if they get the ball (laughs) in overtime, he is just going to take your soul. Kevin, thanks, man. Thanks for having me, Peter. All right, more Locked on NFL in just a second. But today's episode is brought to you by Echelon. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment, of hitting your fitness goals and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes, always available when you need them. 
Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone, and one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon Fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Just go to echelonfit.com slash NFL. That's echelonfit.com slash NFL. Today's episode is also brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports, parents fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching our tuesday locked on nfl show with luke braun and ross jackson will help you break down the monday night game and look forward to a stellar week 12 set of matchups locked on nfl is always your team and the whole league every day it was pegged as a revenge spot With the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Las Vegas Raiders, there was talk of bus circling the stadium. There was all of this rivalry talk, and it was frankly great to get an AFC West rivalry game in prime time. The Kansas City Chiefs took care of the Las Vegas Raiders 35-31. Patrick Mahomes with the comeback win at the end of the game in a spot where I think everyone watching the game felt like they knew what the outcome was. Ryan Tracy from Locked On Chiefs joining me now. And Ryan, it does seem like we have grown a little bit bored with the Chiefs' greatness in the same way the Chiefs seem bored at times, that the only reason that they don't score is when they just seem too bored to bother. And then at the end of the game, they get this done. Do you get that same sense with this team that we're sort of overlooking the 9-1 and Chiefs with you know the best quarterback, maybe the best player in the league? Yeah, I mean, it's a dish best served cold, right? <laughs> uh, they certainly decided to wait until like the last 30 seconds to fire up the microwave. <laughs> They did. And and this Chiefs team, I mean, as I said, this is I think this is a quality Raiders team. But the Chiefs, I mean, we've we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the Buccaneers and, and what they can do. And the Steelers are undefeated. And yet the most consistent train in the league right now feels like it's the Kansas City Chiefs, especially this offense. A couple times so far this year, they they haven't played a, a great game of football, and at the end, Patrick Mahomes has has helped them escape with a win. I mean, w- what have you seen from this team? Uh, because it seems like they are they are rounding into form as we are reaching into you know late November here. You know, I think they're taking their time to round. To tell you the truth, <laughs> I, I was I was a bit more panicked than I would like to have uh, admitted. To tell you the truth, they are a team that, after a championship and after everything they've gone through, and after a number of COVID scares, where they've been able to relegate it to just one or two players rather than seeing the spread that we see yep. across the league, they really seem to be in a place where. It's just one of those things until they're smacked around enough, until they're put in a corner, until they're backed into a hole, they just don't come out swinging. And then when it's time, 
Mahomes unleashes himself. The defense steps up. Everything that I'm throwing things at the television for the first three quarters mysteriously reverses itself in the fourth. Uh, the The comparison I made was they're the really gifted student in like high school who's really just can't be bothered and they sort of dick around. And then but when the test comes around, they've studied and they get the 98. Does that seem like an apt comparison to you? If you close your eyes and picture the commercials that. Patrick does, especially with Troy Palomalu. That's the attitude the whole team has. It doesn't matter. Eventually, he's going to get it done. He's 100 on 100. But until you make him do it, he's just going to take it easy. Is there a concern here? I mean, the Raiders have pushed them to their limit in in two games. I know they've only lost a game, so concerns are only going to go so far. But, I mean, defensively, they give up 31 they they certainly look like there are ways to exploit them defensively. Offensively, they're about as unimpeachable as you can be, at least when they need to be. I mean, Travis Kelsey, incredible again, eight catches, a buck twenty-seven, and the game-winning touchdown. But but defensively, I think it is where teams are going to feel like, especially in the playoffs, they can they can. Find some matchups is probably the best way to to put it. So, you know, defensively, do they have the same sort of switch they can flip? Because they did seem to flip it last year. They do have the switch. They just have to search for it a lot longer. (laughs) It is not as easily uh, addressable, to tell you the truth. And and that said, the Raiders are a quality team. I think most of the NFL is sleeping on them, to tell you the truth. John Gruden plus Carr is like a combination that I think has been underrated, quite frankly. Um, And I I talked about it earlier in the season, and it seems to be developing as they go. The Chiefs certainly have their flaws on the defensive side. They start a couple of rookies, and they have some issues in general. But they are actually a pretty good measuring stick when you talk about what we've seen from Baltimore, what we've seen from the Steelers. Uh, some teams that are going to compete. The Raiders are going to surprise some people, in my opinion. Yeah, and and Derek Carr, you know, a couple years ago, he was an MVP candidate. I think he's playing better now. And if you look at the numbers, maybe you don't like passer rating, uh, a 119.7 passer rating. He had a 95.1 QBR on Sunday night. He he really played well. And the interception, you know, was, was a, a force late in the game when they're just trying to do something with 30 seconds left. This, this Raiders team is legitimately good. When you look at the AFC right now, are the, are the Steelers the team that, that you're looking at saying, okay, this is the team that is most scary to the Chiefs, or is there no team? Is, is the team that is most scary to the Chiefs at this point Kansas City? Well, I have to say it's most likely Kansas City, but there are some caveats there. And they are that, uh, like you see Claypool uh, in Pittsburgh, that kind of speed was exposed tonight against yeah. the Raiders and Aguilar, who I don't think actually can compete in terms of uh, Chase's speed. But this is a, a situation where the Chiefs actually fell to some of their proclivities. They, they just can't keep up with long speed at the corner position. Breland cannot run deep with speed receivers. While Ward can at times, he's not an elite athlete. And so there are some of those things that are built into attacking this team. And I actually don't feel outside of a couple of matchups that the Steelers are the biggest matchup issue. We've seen that the Chiefs have dealt with the Ravens in the past. I don't think their trajectory right now is really hurting. I think this is really the the premier matchup within the AFC right now. And the Raiders might actually be able to pull some wins 
out of those teams as well that are they're just kind of sliding under the radar because they're in the AFC West. Yeah, and, and I think you know maybe there are there are some other teams that could give them different kinds of matchup problems, but in terms of as you mentioned that speed deep, the Raiders may just be a kind of unique matchup in the AFC for the Chiefs. But then again, in this weird season that we're getting, whether it's the matchups or the or the new playoff format, it could still be something that we see you know come January. So something to keep an eye on here uh, as the season wind down winds down ryan i appreciate it yeah thanks for the time all right before we finish up let's talk about our friends at built bar i'll make it simple they make the best protein bar ever certainly the best tasting protein bar ever it's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and why not with flavors like caramel brownie cookies and cream peanut butter german chocolate salted caramel double chocolate peanut butter brownie all of them are a hundred percent covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and they're great if you're trying to watch your weight or if you just want something that tastes delicious that isn't going to blow your entire daily calorie allotment. Bars are low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Right now, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. One of the big storylines of the week, Drew Brees' injury. He has, I think, more broken ribs than functioning ribs right now, and that meant Taysom Hill taking the field against the Atlanta Falcons. Joining me now to talk about his NFL starting debut, the third oldest first-time debut starter, I believe, uh, in recent league history, Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. Uh, Ross, I know that that you came into this game somewhat skeptical of Taysom Hill as a long-term solution. So let's start there before we dig into this actual game. Not not counting what actually happened in the game, did you feel like this was the right decision to go with Hill over Jameis Winston? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's twofold in that I, I would have personally, before knowing anything about what this game was going to turn out to be, I would have personally gone with Jameis Winston because of the experience. But you know what? Sean Payton had to get a look at Taysom Hill eventually and at some point. And so being able to do so against a, a familiar defense, a familiar team in the Atlanta Falcons, and a team that not only Sean Payton is familiar with, but also that Taysom Hill is familiar with and has played against over the last few seasons – that I understand that it made sense. It was not the decision that I expected them to make, but I understand why they went that route. Do you think this idea of, you know, it was reported ahead of the game that one of the reasons Champagne did this was he needed to see. And and obviously the, the Saints gave him a lot of money, that $21 million deal. We don't know what the future of Drew Brees is after the season. We don't know if Drew Brees is going to be back this season. The, the injury is a scary one for any normal human being. And I know Drew mm-hmm. Brees and most football players are not normal human beings. But what do you think of this notion of, oh, well, the, the Saints needed to know that they could trust him moving forward as being a driving factor, uh, at least some sort of factor in in putting him out there versus, say, if they might have believed Jameis Winston gave them a better chance to win you know, one game? Yeah, I mean, I think that that was something that they needed to be able to figure out. And this was a situation in which they could do it. Obviously, they weren't going to take Drew Brees off of the field for more than, you know, a handful of plays a game at quarterback in order to figure that out. They If they had a healthy Drew Brees, then Drew Brees would be starting. But this was an opportunity for them, again, against a familiar team, facing a pretty favorable schedule over the next couple of weeks, being at the top of the NFC and knowing that, look, if they fall below the first 
the first seed, they're not getting a bye week anyway. And so there's a lot of interesting factors in terms of maybe they felt most comfortable at this position and in this time of being able to say, this is the opportunity. This is what we've got. Let's go ahead and see what we have in Taysom Hill. And uh, it turns out that was a pretty advantageous situation, a pretty advantageous decision for them. So let's talk about what we saw on the field. Taysom Hill finishes 18 of 23 for 233 yards. No touchdowns through the air, but did, of course, have the two rushing scores, 10 carries, 51 yards. I think the numbers are a little misleading. Um, you know, the the long one to Emmanuel Sanders, the 44-yarder, was kind of a duck that he got lucky. Yeah. Deion Jones overran by about 10 yards. But how did you think Taysom played here? I thought that he gave you sort of a, a semblance of what you got from Teddy Bridgewater just last year sure. in that he did enough to win the game. And although he did put a couple of fumbles on the ground, one of them being a turnover late, he didn't do anything to lose you the game either. He had one uh, throw that was pretty, I would call turnover worthy. That almost got picked off. It would have been a one-handed interception in order to get it by the linebacker for Atlanta. But you know what? It was there. It was there for him and he wasn't able to make the play. There was also a couple of other plays that got away from Taysom that could have counted favorably for him, but there was the uncharacteristic drop by uh, Michael Thomas at one point. There was also what would have been the deep touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders that was also a little bit underthrown and he was going to, and Emmanuel Sanders again was forced to pull up and just make a play on the ball. And he did, but unfortunately for the saints and for Taysom Hill, for that matter, there was the penalty call on Eric McCoy, the holding call on that same play. So, you know, you look at, you, you look at the numbers and they're misleading one way or another, but the fact of the matter is that the guy went out there and he did what he needed to do to win the game. He didn't cost you the game. And that's really what you needed from Taysom Hill, especially with how outstanding both the run game and the defense in particular played. Yeah, I want to talk about that defense in a second, but I think this sustainability thing is something that we need to bring up because mm -hmm. you mentioned it. He didn't lose the game. He didn't put the ball in harm's way. He did have the fumble that he lost. He actually had another fumble earlier in the game that mm -hmm. he was able to fall right on and recover. But it does when when the other guy was Jameis Winston, you have more opportunities in all likelihood that he's going to put the ball in harm's way. So as we look at the sustainability of the Taysom Hill offense, do you think this idea of, you know, his not turning the ball over is part of the decision making here and does that make it more sustainable to to keep winning like this than it would have with winston yeah, I would say that Taysom probably earned himself another starting opportunity next week over Jameis Winston because with Jameis Winston always comes the concern about whether or not he's going to give the ball away and turn over worthy throws. We saw a few of them in just the second half of play that he had against the San Francisco 49ers. I wouldn't be surprised to see Taysom, excuse me, Jameis, uh, get to be a little bit more involved next week, especially because the Saints will actually have a third string quarterback available to them next week with the signing of Trevor Simeon. But with uh, when it comes down to Taysom Hill, I think that he's done enough to give you what is probably the more sustainable model right now. You have to keep him from putting the ball on the ground. But at the same time, if you're limiting the amount of times that he's you know, designed run and, and getting downfield, then maybe it ends up helping you there. You can kind of control that a little bit more and certainly something that you can work on a little bit more uh, most efficiently. We've seen Sean Payton be successful with tr working fumbles out of players before if you look at Mark Ingram's career. And so yeah. I, I do think that Taysom may have given you a more sustainable offense in this game or at least will give Sean Payton a more sustainable 
game plan moving forward, then maybe he would be able to develop with Jameis Winston because of the turnover concerns, plus the added element of the run game that Taysom Hill does give you. We saw come in handy a couple of times that deep pass to uh, Emmanuel Sanders that that was overthrown, but you know, still no, I'm sorry, it was another, it was a crosser over the middle to Michael Thomas. The only reason why that route had time to develop is because of Taysom Hill's mobility. That's something yep. that I think is probably going to be weighing large on the decision for what goes on these next couple of weeks without Drew Brees. Yeah, that was to me the most impressive play of of the day that that Taysom Hill made. Mm-hmm. Just quickly here as we finish up, the the defense held the Falcons at one point they had minus 4 yards in the second half. Uh Matt Ryan uh, did not play well at all in this game. The defense really rounding into form and it seems like if anything is going to is going to help keep Taysom Hill uh in phase, it, it's going to be this defense because they've been really good the last couple of weeks and we're again here on Sunday. Yeah, I keep drawing the correlations to Teddy Bridgewater and his starting opportunities last year, but it's because they also continue to present themselves. I mean, Teddy, with the exception of one of those five games that he won last year, which was the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defense was really the story in all those games, as well as special teams, Deontay Harris, a few return touchdowns or a few uh, a few big returns and a return touchdown in that against Seattle. And so, you know, you look at what this defense brings, and that's another part of the sustainable model is that it gives you an opportunity to stay in games, despite the fact that, you know, you get a big run and Taysom Hill puts the ball on the ground. It could be a little bit more manageable because of what that defense gives you. And especially now, because the symbiotic relationship is so present between the pass rush and the secondary, the secondary really was a lot of those sacks. I mean, the Saints had, what, eight sacks in that game. And a lot of those sacks came down to coverage, particularly being able to take away the short and intermediate part of the field from Matt Ryan, forcing him to hold on to the ball and then giving the pass rush time to get there. I mean, they woke a sleeping giant and Cam Jordan, who has had a relatively quiet season up to this point. Now, all of a sudden, he racked up three sacks in this one game against Matt Ryan, who is easily his favorite target. He's now got 21 career sacks on Matt Ryan at this point. And so, I mean, that's a big portion of what you're going to see this team really rely on moving forward, whether it's Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston under center. But Taysom may have earned it for himself. And it's certainly going to be the thing that makes them a formidable team come December and January. Ross, thanks for the insight. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, man. Keep up the great work. All right. Ross Jackson, who you heard on the show today, along with Luke Braun, will be on Locked on NFL tomorrow getting you set for the rest of the week. And of course, talking about the huge game between the Bucks and the Rams that will be going on tonight. That will have massive implications in the NFC and will certainly impact some of the teams we talked about today. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on NFL Pods. We are here every day to give you everything around your favorite sports league. So always stay locked on NFL.